advertising wants to make it seem easy, so you're buy, you'll buy their thing. Um, and, and it turns out, I mean, it's not easy, right? Every, but it's like a marathon. Like, everybody that puts time into it will get there. Some will get there a little bit faster, a little bit slower, but everybody will get there. Um, what happens is that people use Duolingo or Babbel or something, and they use it for a while, and then they hear it in real life, and they don't understand it. And then they try to speak, and they've been studying for months, and they're not understood. And then they, they blame themselves rather than the product, right? They say, I'm bad at learning languages. Um, and in my experience, nobody's actually bad at learning. Everybody's learned a language, right? So you can't really physically be bad at it. Um, they, they just don't know how to do it or they don't like it or whatever, right? It's like going out and trying to run a marathon on your first day and collapsing at mile 10 because you've never run before and saying, I'm bad at running marathons. Like, that's just not how you do it, right? It's DeAndre here, and this is the Pioneers Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives, so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. If this is your first time here, thank you for downloading and listening, and I appreciate you taking the time and hearing this episode. Subscribe and enjoy this conversational goodness. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back and thank you for downloading again. This is episode 18, and I'm your host, André de Alquerque. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the Pioneers Show at Pioneers Show on Instagram as well. Contrary to what we usually do here on the Pioneers Show, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, get back and listen to it, for this is a two-part conversation with Scott Chicone. In this specific episode, we go more in-depth into Chatterbug, Scott's new venture, and talk about the misconceptions about language learning and why did Scott leave an established position as a co-founder of GitHub and decided to build this incredible startup. So without any further ado, let's jump into the second part of this conversation with Scott Chicone. Going now specifically to Chatterbug. Yeah. I read a few things, but I would love for you to explain first what is Chatterbug. Sure. You already mentioned here and there, but I just want to have a clear definition of what's Chatterbug and how that idea came to... to right. So, so yeah, my last uh, year that I was at my, uh, Microsoft, the last year <laughs> that I was at GitHub, um, uh, I lived in Paris. I, I moved my family to Paris. Um, we had this large remote working culture at, at GitHub. We had lots of, of remote workers um, all over the United States and, and all over Europe. Uh, and other parts of the world as well, but mainly in Europe. Um, and so I, I felt that it was it was I felt that it was important as a as a founder to I don't know eat that dog food for a, a small amount of time, right? To to be a remote employee and to get a better idea of what the problems are and what's difficult and where you feel left behind or um, I don't know whatever, right? Like I, I wanted to understand that process a little bit more, um, and I thought it would be a good opportunity to get out of San Francisco for a little while and, and spend some time living in another country, which I'd never done before in my life. Um, and I had a six-year-old daughter and thought it would be valuable to her for, for her to live in another country um, while she was younger. Um, before you go on, sorry, you mentioned here a word that I've listened to one of your conference uh, talks, rather, dog food. Yeah. What is it? Right. So, I mean, dog food in the, the sort of, I guess this is mostly used in the software development industry, but it'd be using your own product, right? So if you, you know, we're building GitHub, we don't want to use a different source control system. Like you want to make sure that you're using your own product and that there aren't oh, sort okay. of problems with it, right? Um, and I think it comes from like, you know, feeding dog food to your dog, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're a dog food manufacturer, like, like you want to make sure that you're using it yourself, that you wouldn't be doing something that you also aren't ha wouldn't be happy using. Okay. Um, and I think it's a really, really valuable thing. I think any anything that you're doing, you should... 
you should be making sure that that you're consuming it as well, that you're doing it as well. So uh, I have a language learning startup, so I'm making sure that not only am I learning a language, um, but that I'm using my own product to do it, um, and that I'm always doing that, and and also that all of my employees are doing that as well. So um, everybody at GitHub had to use GitHub, even if they were a lawyer or you know not in the software development industry. We would try to get them used to GitHub and using GitHub and get feedback, right? Of of how where, what what is difficult to do if you're not a developer or if you're just learning software development, and can we make that process easier? Um, so I think using your own product is incredibly important, and you can you should be able to apply that to nearly any industry, right? The, especially the CEO or the founding team um, should be doing it themselves. If, if if you use a language learning company where the the CEO is not learning a language with their own software all the time, um, then I feel like they're, they're not really a language learning company, right? That's not primarily what they're focused on if the, if the people mm-hmm. running it don't even care about it. Um, so so that's what I mean by dog fooding. Okay, so going back, so you moved with your wife and your kid, right. six months, six years old, right? Right. So we moved with my wife and kid to Paris. Um, we just sort of randomly chose a, a city. My wife wanted to learn French, and so we thought it'd be, it'd be interesting. Um, and, you know, who doesn't want to live in Paris for a little while? So... So we moved to Paris um, and lived there for about a year, and I worked remotely, uh, still for GitHub, doing doing everything I was doing before, but just time shifted, um, learning all of the different difficult things about being a remote employee, um, which which are really interesting to me, but maybe that's for a different podcast. Um, and I've tried to learn French, right? And so I'm sitting in Paris um, in our new apartment. My wife and I are both trying to learn French and and trying everything that's available. Um, and it's it's incredibly difficult for a person with a full-time job to effectively learn a new language. And I, it's much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, and for a variety of reasons, but I tried Duolingo. Um, I did uh, Alliance Francaise, which is like an in, in-person school mm-hmm. that you go to, you know, three hours a day, three days a week. It was fairly intensive. Um, my wife did the extensive, or I did the extensive, which was that she did the intensive, which was four hours a day, five days a week. Um, and so for months, right. And, and it was, uh, everything was difficult. Like all of the different, we did, I did italki, which is sort of online mm-hmm. tutoring, uh, marketplace. Uh, I had an in-person tutor that I would meet with every Friday and, and walk around Paris and talk about things in French. Um, and I tried really, really hard and I left after 11 months, still only knowing like a one a2 French, um, which is, which is okay. I can understand stuff, but, but it's not, I thought I would be fluent after a year of living there and, and I wasn't, and it was really frustrating. And so what, what I, I, you know, just as my nature, I guess, is look at this and be frustrated. And as an engineer say, how can this process be better? Like there should be a way for me to be able to take an hour or two of classes a day, whenever I want online structured with curriculum and have the homework feed into that. And, and that it simply doesn't exist, right? There's no good sort of online language school. Um, it's either a marketplace where you're using a tutor that is, you know, you're using classroom materials that are designed for a classroom of 15 students and you're doing it one-on-one over Skype, which doesn't really make sense. It's not built for that. Um, and it's hard to, to schedule and the tutor goes for a vacation and you don't have a tutor for a week unless you find another one and then you're juggling two tutors and schedules and time zone differences and it's a nightmare. Um, or you're doing Duolingo or, or Babbel or something. Or Memorize which, or something which, like Memorize, that. which is fine. Like you, you learn some vocabulary, but you don't understand it when people speak to you. Um, <laughs> you can't generally be understood when you're spoken, when you speak, because you, you, know, you don't know how to do it properly, right? Like you, you haven't practiced with a human being. And so 
anyways, I went through all of that uh, over a year and then decided, like, I think that this is a space that, that needs a solution. Like, I would like to have paid for something and become uh, fluent in it, and there was just nothing available. Um, yeah, so anyways, that, that's, that's how Chatterbug started, is me, I started writing software to help myself with this process, right? Writing mm -hmm. software to help with scheduling, writing software to help with flashcard memorization, my own flashcard software, um, that, that I thought, I started doing a lot of research into memorization and, and sort of uh, linguistics and second language acquisition, and try to figure out, like, what, what are actually really effective ways of learning a language and of memorizing new things, um, and of learning how to speak. I mean, I mean, just as one kind of very simple thing, one of the things that almost all language learning methods completely ignore is, is speed, right? And like the speed of understanding. Because when somebody talks to you, they're talking at you know, 60 words a minute, right? I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a lot to process. You have to process a word every second or every half second. Mm -hmm. um, and if, you're, if your recall process with flashcards you know, even if you're kind of fast and you're taking two seconds and you, and you remember the thing, it's too slow. To, that's still too slow to understand spoken speech, right? Um, and so, the, but there's no way of training speed unless you're having conversations all mm -hmm. of the time. It's the easiest way to do it. Um, and so there, there's just a lot of, of aspects of, of learning a language that are ignored by most of the practical methods. Um, and so then you end up not being able to understand it and not being able to speak it. Um, or you'll get really good at speaking it, and then you'll go somewhere and order something, and then whatever they respond to, you can't understand, so then you can't move it forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that, that's how Chatterbook started, is me building all of these tools, and then just deciding, you know what, I, I, this is more interesting to me than, than what I'm doing at GitHub right now. Like I, it, it had gotten to be this big thing. It was becoming more corporate. It was on its path. I felt like I couldn't really move that path that much at that point, and so... It would be more interesting for me and for my growth to do something different um, and, and to start another company and to, and to go through this process again. And so I, I left and I, I found a, a couple of great co-founders, all of whom used to work at GitHub and I'd worked with a lot um, and love. And, and we all started uh, Chatterbug, right, to try to, to try to get into this space and help people with, you know, maybe full-time jobs um, and a couple of hours to spare to, like, learn a language for real within a year um, uh, in, in their spare time and, and to be able to do it successfully. And that's, it's, it's a surprisingly unaddressed uh, market, right? Like none of the language learning markets really, really try to help people with, with schedules that are all over the place mm -hmm. um, uh, solve this problem. It's, it's, it's sort of surprising to me, right? One of, one of the things that I, I'm trying to be a language learner myself, I mean, I speak Portuguese fluently because I'm Portuguese, I remember at two years old listening to English, watching Scooby-Doo and Powerpuff Girls. So English always was a second language specifically. I mean, I can understand Spanish and Italian because it's all in the same area. No. But for example, when I went to Paris, I always, and the people at TechStars Paris know that for me, that I knew how to say, comment je vais, uh, something, how do I go somewhere? But always when someone answered back, I remembered going, yep. <laughs> no idea what you just said and just going to nod and say yes and then try to find myself the way and that was something that I, try, I tried Babel I tried Duolingo I tried Memorize I've tried hundreds of different things and I at one point I even tried to listen to DVDs uh, audiobook formats of DVDs and I think that language learning is probably one of the most necessary skills nowadays but then there's a question that someone might ask is for example 
this thing that apparently didn't work that, that well, but the pixel buds with the auto translation. Yeah. The, um, how's it called? The, the thing from the book. The, the, oh, the uh, babblefish. The babblefish. Yeah. Why do you think learning a language is necessary when there's a possibility that we'll have auto translation like a babblefish kind of thing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, so I think there's two different aspects to, to language that are important. Um, the, the aspect I think that everybody thinks of immediately is communication. And, and so something like a babblefish, you know, that, that works well. I mean, there's a lot of hard computer science problems in that entire chain of, of, mm -hmm. of, of that particular technical solution that I think are, un, are still not solved well enough for that to work well. But I assume someday it will be. Um, so there's communication that can be solved by AI or by computers, I think, at some point. And then there's, there's culture, right? And, and there's a lot of things. I mean, a, an easy way to, to think about this is, is like, do you read the same book if you read Shakespeare in Spanish rather than Shakespeare in English, right? Or if you read Goethe in English instead of German or like something that's translated, how much are you missing, right? Is it exactly the same thing or are there things that are untranslatable or are, are difficult to get unless you actually read it in the, in the original language, right? Mm -hmm. um, plays on words or cultural references or um, I was translating something in, in German and it made a reference to a TV show that... that you know, in one sentence communicated a lot to people who had seen the TV show. If you make a, a cultural reference for friends or something, right, mm -hmm. as an English speaker, um, you can make a reference and everybody that's seen that show will get it and will, there's a lot of information and inference there. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't, you completely miss it and there's no way to translate it, right? Mm -hmm. You can't you can't do a sidebar that explains all of this culture. In 1994, there was this show, Friends. Exactly. And 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 I did this a lot. I found this a lot in, in Japan. I would, when I was, the last time I was in Japan, I had... Uh, a translator, so they would walk around with me and translate everything for me, um, which is essentially that—that's the end game for Babel, for like the Babelfish Google Pixel earbud type thing, right? Is is the equivalent of that? And there were still a ton of problems there, right? There were a lot of things she couldn't translate. There was still awkwardness in having the translation process go through, um, and I think it's massively different than even if I was not able to communicate as well. Um, but had some basic amount of Japanese and was doing it myself, right? The, the human connection is different when, when it's not going through something else. Um, just you caring about their culture a little bit more, right, or putting the time in, I think, uh, communicates something to, mm -hmm. to the person that's important. Um, and there's a whole, most of the reason that people learn languages, I think, is not necessarily to communicate, right? You can communicate relatively easily by pointing at things or, or gesturing or even like using a you know computer to write something down and show it to them, but all of that is kind of um, like it's it's doable. It's a two-step right? or three-step thing where right. communication between the two of us is just. I think why people learn languages though is is not necessarily to communicate better in it. It's to learn the culture or to be accepted into the culture a little bit more um, or in a different way. So a lot of people learn because they have a, a girlfriend or boyfriend that speaks the language, or they want to speak to their 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 grandparents or um, or. They make their kids learn the language because it's part of their culture, right? That not necessarily that they're going to use it, but that they want them to understand their culture better. Um, and I've, I found that that's true. I learned German um, specifically to, to just to learn another language. It seemed like an interesting language. I kind of randomly chose it because I didn't know it at all. Um, and I went into it not really caring about German culture that much, but having learned it, now I care a lot about German culture, right? It's really interesting to me now that now that I speak uh, German, you know, okay. Um, the more I learn it, the more I get into that culture. And I, 
I think that the easiest way to say this is that I don't think anybody will ever, or not very many people probably, will get married with a Google Pixel, right? Like, <laughs> like if you and your spouse don't share a language, it's not that you can't communicate, it's that the cultural... The, it won't be there. It's not a great fit specifically. Right. right. And, and so I, I think there will always be a place for language learning. Um, and, and I think that that cultural transmission is really what's most important about learning another language. And so um, I think we can make communication easier, but, but you can never AI culture, right? I, I, I just don't think it's going to be possible. One of the things that I listened to a podcast a few months ago from a podcast called Hidden Brain, and they were talking about the, uh, the, um, the effect of language in our perception of the world. For example, in Portuguese and most Latin countries or Latin languages, you have a feminine and, and masculine for objects. And they were studying that for in German, then you have the even the neutral pronoun. But apparently the way you said, if you pointed to a kid and asked them to use adjectives to describe a specific object according to its pronoun, it would change the perspective. So I think that also gives some idea. For example, I know that they asked some Spanish kids what they thought of a bridge. And since it's a feminine, they would see that a bridge as a more cute, uh, gracious thing, as if they asked like on a neutral or on a masculine level, they're rugged and strong. And that was not because they were sexist. It was just because of the mental imperative of having a specific pronoun to describe an inanimate object. Right. Interesting. Another thing, do you, do you, I, once again, researching our conversation, I noticed and came upon one of the things you wrote on your medium that will be all linked up in the show notes about the misconceptions about learning new languages. I've always learned all my life that from zero to seven years old, it's the best age to learn languages. But apparently, according to an MIT study, that doesn't. Yeah, so there was an yeah. So there's actually a, a lot of things that that I think people think they know about language because they learned one, um, and and that are that is actually unintuitive and oftentimes not true. And and one of the things that is that I hear the most is that kids are great at learning languages, um, and the, the opposite of that is that adults are bad at it or worse. Um, and and actually, a lot of the research says that that's that's not entirely true, right? It's not nearly as true as people think it is. That the children are actually pretty slow at learning languages. Like, part of it is that they're they're kids. Their first language it takes you you know nine years probably to like to learn <laughs> your first language really, right? If if you talked like an eight year old um, as as an adult, it's not the same exact language, right? Like, I think people mentally shift the way that children can use language um, and, and have a different bar for adults. Um, and so if you talk like to, like a four-year-old or a five-year-old, uh, as an adult, I would think that something was wrong with you, right? <laughs> um, but you, you think that the four or five-year-old is, is fluent, right? They, they are, but they're, they're using a simplified version of the language because they're learning it as they, as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, if they use some really complicated word, you'd think that they were precocious. Um, and, but for an adult, you wouldn't, right? Um, and so, so your, your bar is different. And then also it takes them a really long time. My daughter has gone to French school for several years. Um, I think a lot of parents think that, that their kids are just soaking it up, right? If they move to another country and put their kid in in school. And I think a lot of times it's just because they're, they're not really paying attention or they don't know what their, their kids are are actually, how they're producing. But my daughter has been going to school for three years, uh, almost full time in French, you know, eight hours a day, six hours a day. Um, and she's good at French now, right? But it still took her a very long time. If you went to, to school 
and and it was conducted entirely in French, and you did it for three years, you'd be amazing at it, right? Mm -hmm. Like children really take about the same amount of time to learn as adults. In fact, in most in most studies, they they take longer. Um, up until a point, right? And then that sort of last mile, they, they tend to do a lot better in because they, they don't have anything else to do. They care about it more. Um, adults tend to hit a plateau and they're like, okay, this is usable and, 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 and more about work it. won't get it more usable to me, then I'll just kind of stop here. And so they, they don't quite get as, they don't perfect their accent as, as easily as children. And it, it turns out that if you adjust for amount of time exposed, that, um, most studies that I've read say that, Adults and children tend to learn at the same paces. Um, it's just that children tend to have much more time to do it, right? Because they can go to school for eight hours a day, okay. and adults almost never can, right? After you're after you're twenty years old, like how many people you're can working eight hours take a, day. a year off, right, and just go to school all day, and and it's it's just not common. Um, with the main thing being to learn that language, right? Um, but adults are better at focusing. They're better at studying. They're better at cramming, right? Like they they know how to. In, inject information into their brains better than children do they can concentrate more and longer and and with reason um and and so they they tend to do better than children in, in the beginning so getting to a one a two adults are almost always better at that um but it, again it's adjusted for time right so that's one of the things that 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 really bothers me i think about the language learning space is that um people advertising you know, for their, their products for Duolingo or whatever, like to say, or their books, right? Those books are huge at this, like five minutes a day, like learn Japanese in five minutes a day. And you'll never learn Japanese if you take five minutes a day. Like you'll, you'll learn a small amount of Japanese over the course of 20 years, if, if that's what you're doing, but you're never really going to speak Japanese well, right? I only know one sentence in Japanese other than, excuse me, that's sumimasen, it's eigo ga wakarimasu ka, which means do you speak English? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one to know. Um, but, but people, you know, advertising wants to make it seem easy. So you're buy, you'll buy their thing. Um, and, and it turns out, I mean, it's not easy, right? Every, but it's like a marathon. Like everybody that puts time into it will get there. Some will get there a little bit faster, a little bit slower, but everybody will get there. Um, what happens is that people use Duolingo or Babbel or something and they use it for a while and then they hear it in real life and they don't understand it. And then they try to speak and they've been studying for months and they're not understood. And then they, they blame themselves rather than the product, right? They say, I'm bad at learning languages. Um, and in my experience, nobody's actually bad at learning. Everybody's learned a language, right? So you can't really physically be bad at it. Um, they, they just don't know how to do it or they don't like it or whatever, right? It's like going out and trying to run a marathon on your first day and collapsing at mile 10 because you've never run before and saying, I'm bad at running marathons. Like, that's just not how you do it, right? If you go through a training program, you can be overweight, you can be old, it doesn't really matter. Like you can run a marathon. Almost everybody I've ever seen go through, you know, a training program can do it. Um, it it's just that you don't, if you don't know how and you fail, you blame yourself. Um, and language learning, I think, is like that. And, and it's really unfortunate because I think if people learned how and they, they did it in a way that they enjoyed, which I think involves human beings, right? Talking to people. This is why Chatterbug is, is designed this way is because talking to people is interesting because people are, are interesting, right? That is a human thing to connect to another human being and learn about their lives and their culture, I think is, is fundamentally interesting, uh, more so than, than say just flashcards or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and it just given enough time, as long as you're constantly pushing yourself a little bit every day that, that you'll, you'll get there. And, and, and so that, that is, I don't, I don't think I really explained what, what Chatterbug specifically does, um, but, but that's, that's what we're trying to do, right? Is, is mm -hmm. to have 
uh, a way to, to study on your own, similar to, to like Duolingo or Babbel, where you have flashcards and you learn grammar and words, um, but then regularly connect you with a human being over a video chat with curriculum that says, here's is, a, is that human being a teacher or a, yeah, a native speaker? They're a native speaker. So, so some of them have teaching backgrounds, some of them don't. Um, it's not necessary for what we're doing. The, the, the pedagogy is built into the curriculum. And so we're trying to make sure the system knows what you know for the most part because you're studying through it and it can show you exercises that, that exercise or push what you're trying to learn in the language at that time um, and connect you with a native speaker and say, to the native speaker, here's what your role is and to the student, here's what your role is and now sort of improv, right? Make it, make it up. Use language to solve puzzles or, mm -hmm. or to play games or to go through situations um, so that you, you get comfortable doing it, right? And it's kind of a, it's a fun process to do. Interesting. So, and what are the languages supported right now for uh, by Cheddarbag? So right now we do German and Spanish, both mm -hmm. for English speakers. Um, we're launching French and English, um, English for Spanish speakers, mm -hmm. um, and then we'll we'll once we get all of that uh, crammed up, yeah, done. So so we're also trying to support absolute zero through B two, right through the Ooh, end of B two, which is a, quite a range, right? It's it's literally zero to fluent. Um, uh, and so there's a lot of, and we do all the curriculum ourselves. So it takes us a while to, to do new languages. Um, and, and then hopefully someday, since you don't need a, a teaching background, what we'd like to do is, is allow you to swap lessons, right? So, um, because hiring a human being is expensive, it's, no matter what anybody does, it's going to be expensive. People's time is expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, but if we could let you swap time, right? Everybody is an expert in a language, right? You are an absolute expert in Portuguese. Like nobody's better at Portuguese than you are um, because all human beings kind of get to a level. I mean, maybe some people know some words you don't or, 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 but, or know a different type of grammar, right? Mm -hmm. If they, they were educated like in a different way, but that doesn't make it a, more of a language. It just mm -hmm. means that some people sat around and wrote a book that says here are what the rules are, but language changes all the time, right? It's a human thing. And so you are an absolute expert at that, at, at the Portuguese of your community. And, and if I wanted to learn it, it's not necessarily you can teach me all the rules, but it turns out that a lot of times that doesn't help anyways. Teaching people explicit grammar rules actually tends to not help them learn it faster. Because you have to study specific things and not necessarily uh, know It's also, it's just very slow, right? It's, it's a cognitive process. So if I'm trying to memorize a, a grammatical rule of German and then I go to use it and I have to think about what the rule is and apply it, it's too slow. And so you, you have to make it more of a muscle memory. And, and we do teach grammar because, not because it's particularly useful to do so, but because people really want to know. And, and they feel confused. They feel lost, like we're not teaching them something if, if, if we don't have that included. Um, but you know, if I want to learn Portuguese, I could, and you were really patient, we could hang out and like talk for a year, right? Like every day for Anytime. a couple hours and I would learn Portuguese, right? It, like we don't really, we just, I'd need that time together and you need somebody that's patient and we'll, and we'll take that time. Anytime you need, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it turns out every, every speaker is an, an expert, right? If, if, if you tell me something in English, I can tell you whether that's right or wrong. Like I, I may not be able to tell you why exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, like figure out the rule, but, but I can tell you that it's right or I can tell you that it's wrong. Like I would say it that way or I wouldn't, right? Or you're, I would pronounce it a little bit differently in these ways. I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why that is. Um, but we want to harness that expertise and let people use it, right? It's, it's a useful thing. And so one of these days, what I'd like to do once we have all of these languages implemented is allow people to swap time, right? So it's not so expensive that you can teach an hour of Portuguese and then take an hour of Spanish or French or something. German. Um, German. 
and then I can teach an hour of English and then take an hour of Portuguese from you, mm -hmm. right? And, and so it doesn't even need to be a tandem where it's, you're finding a partner to, to swap with, uh, but where you can learn the language you want and then teach a language into a pool of people that want to learn that and hopefully um, you know, everybody can kind of exchange like time. A community of speakers that can help each other right. learn new languages. But, but that there's curriculum, right? I, I think the problem with tandems a lot, other than scheduling problems and time involved, is you don't know what to, to do, right? In any of the online things where it's just swap time or, or, you know, teach English and learn Spanish or something with a Spanish speaker that wants to do the opposite is that neither of you really know what the next step should be, right? I've even had this with in-person tutors where they don't know what the next step should be or how to push me a little bit farther. Um, and so what you end up doing in a lot of the tandems is just having a conversation about what you're already comfortable with and you're not pushing yourself forward and getting better in the language. Um, and so one of the really, and it can be stressful for both parties, right, to know what to, to talk about next. And so one of the nice things about this platform is you connect and it says, here's what the student's working on next. And it gives the tutor a very specific thing to do. They don't need to prepare for it, right? They just go in and read the instructions and play the game. And like it helps the other person with their language. And so it's, it's a really nice platform for having a, a structured way of getting, of improving in something. And uh, in terms of pricing specifically, do you, have, do you have like a Babel thing? I think Babel also offers like a week free version or is it yeah. paid? Yeah, we have a we have a, a free trial that I think is 14 days where you can take one lesson for free, um, and then and then it's a subscription model. So we we're trying to figure out how to. There's a lot of motivation problems in, in learning languages, and we're always trying stuff. We felt that subscription model was a, a good way to motivate people. So you pay, you can take up to eight classes for that amount. If you take two classes, you still pay that amount. If you take uh, all eight. It's the same, same thing. Same thing. But if, if you only take two classes, it, the next month it resets, right? And so you use it or you lose it in that, okay. in that time, time space. So you also are motivated to at least use them because you already paid for right. them. Otherwise, you're screwed. Yeah. So you can do one class a month, eight classes a month. Or we also have an, an, un, an unlimited one, right? And so you can pay us, I think, 200 euros and take as many classes as you can. Um, and, and some people we lose money on that way, right? That, but... We're in the phase of our company right now. We're trying to learn. We're trying to learn how people learn. We're trying to learn how well the system works. Um, and so it's valuable. They're sort of our beta testers. Like it's valuable to, if you want to take, you know, two or three language lessons a day and, and then we get to see how fast can you actually learn the language effectively. Um, and are there any downsides to trying to, to learn it that fast? So um, we're learning a lot through that, through that model right now. And there are people who are doing that and it's fascinating to watch them you know, become fluent in a couple of months. Um, and is it a mobile app? Is it one mobile app? There is a mobile app for the just for the card study. Okay, uh, everything else web. needs a, a desktop and a camera to to do the okay. video stuff. Um, we will have it on on mobile at some point, but mm -hmm. that's more of a problem of trying to do quality control. Like, how do we make sure that that your video looks good and that you're not on the you know subway yeah, like doing a language learning thing, which may not be a bad thing for the student but it would be bad for the tutor to, to like you you want your tutor to be in a nice place with good mm -hmm. sound and good lighting and things like that and so and we even would make sure that the student itself is in a place where it can hear yeah like going on the subway at 11 30 a.m is good but at 6 p.m it's awful because yeah. you can't hear a single thing yeah, yeah interesting okay now i would like to jump into a lightning round with you sure. i I assume you know the, the thing. I'll ask you one question. You have around one minute to answer. Okay. Does that work for you? Yeah. Okay. Tell me one to three books that have impacted you the most. Um, I like Ben Horowitz's uh, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Mm -hmm. um, 
which is more recent, uh, I like, um, probably impacted me the most, um, The New Jim Crow, uh, which is a book on, on um, prison uh, and the United States. It's not um, racist. Jim Crow laws were those racist yeah, things yeah. in the South. This is, it's, well, so it's the use of the prison system in the United States is sort of a, a new Jim Crow way of, of um, making it harder for black people to, to vote and to have influence because your, your rights are stripped away if, if mm -hmm. in a lot of states if you go to prison and it's harder to get a job and things like that. Um, it's, an, it's an amazing book, um, it's specifically on America and imprisonment, mm -hmm. but you know, um, it, it was influential to me. And um, what's another good one? Uh, I mean, in a funny way, Pro Git, which is the book that I wrote. Um, but I, I say that in that it, it impacted my life a lot in having gone through the process of writing a book and getting feedback. And it's an open source book you can read online for free. And um, but but that imp obviously impacted me a lot just having written it. Right? It was mm -hmm. it was an interesting thing to to go through and to do. Everything that has been just said will be on the show notes. Don't worry, anyone. Uh, tell me something you've changed your opinion in the last six months. Um, let's change my opinion in the last six months. Um, oh God, that's a good question. Um, oh, okay. So, I mean, a really good, you know, I, we're talking about Microsoft and, and about this acquisition and, uh, my, my, you know, I have all this, this stock, uh, and, and cash that, that is changing sort of my life. Right. And so I'm tr trying to, to figure out what to do with that. And, and I think my opinion on capitalism has changed a lot in the last six months of, of coming to terms with what it means to have all of this capital for one human being. Um, even though I'm on the, the side of it that, if, that, you know, I'm a very lucky, I'm on the very lucky side of this, um, I don't think it's fair, right? And so um, I think my, my opinion of, of sort of late stage capitalism and, and, and you know, 100 millionaires or billionaires, like, I don't think that it's right. And so, so um, I think the taxes should be higher. I think that people, everybody in a, in a society should be better taken care of and, and that the rich really should pay way more taxes. Um, and, and it's really changed my mind because I learned that once this happens, something like this happens to you, or once you become very wealthy, that everybody tries to help you keep your money, right? Like all the lawyers and, and accountants and everything. And they try very hard to make you keep your money and then pass it on to your children. And, and it's, it's been sort of enlightening of how insidious that, that process is, right? Um, and so, I mean, I, I, my wife and I will spend probably the rest of our lives giving all, all of this away. Um, but it, it takes somebody, I mean, you have to make that decision, right? I think most people don't make that decision. Um, and, and inequality becomes much worse in, in the United States, but probably everywhere, right? Um, and I don't think it's fair. Uh, it's a fair system, and I don't think it works for, for humanity. Um, and I'm not entirely sure what to do about it. But, but that uh, sort, of sort of ironically has, has changed really massively for me in the last six months. Uh, we can talk later. I have actually some opinions on that. But I've, I've been very interested lately in American politics. I've been reading a lot because eventually one of my dreams is to move to the other side of the Atlantic. And since I've never quite paid attention to any of the countries I've ever been, since I tend to live, and one of the jokes that I do is I would like to live in New York. And I always say that I would like to live, work, and die in New York. And funny thing, it can happen all in the same day. So, um, But we can talk a little bit later. So do you have any life motto or, li or quote that you like to live by? 
Um, yeah, my wife and I went to Rwanda uh, several years ago. I think early, um, 2006, I think. So it's been a while now. Um, but we read a book while we were there by a general that was involved in the, the genocide. It was in the UN trying to, trying to prevent it, but didn't really have tools to do it and was really powerless in a, in a really horrible situation. Um, and there's a quote from him that says, uh, no humans are more human than any other. No human is more human than any other. And, and that's, that's interesting to me, right? I mean, we, my wife works in sort of human rights and, and I am obviously very interested in human rights. The Jim Crow book, uh, for example, is, is a good, that's why I recommend this, right? Um, but it's, it's, you know, in, in this world, especially now we're having, you know, AFD marches and, and anti-Nazi protests in, in Berlin and in Germany now, um, and Trump, Trumpism and Brexit and, and all of these things, I think understanding that immigrants are human beings and are people and are not different, right? That there's, there's no culture that's worse or that's better, that, or that human beings are the same everywhere. There's nobody that's smarter or dumber or, or meaner or nicer that, that, you know, and, and having been an immigrant myself in, in France for a year, right? Like not, not one that people hated, but like you could definitely see the difficulties of it. Um, and, and I think being able to see other people as human, um, and as the same as you, even if they're from a different culture is incredibly important. It's actually one of the things that I'm really excited about Chatterbug, right? That's why I think it's important to learn culture, to learn another language is to, to, realize that people whose lives are very different and whose cultures are very different at the core fundamentally are, are very similar. Um, and, and so, so yeah, that's, that's important to me. One of the things that you just mentioned about the, the way that immigrants are, I honestly think being an immigrant in France and now in, in Germany, one of the things I kind of see is, is how big the company is in terms of self-importance. For example, if you go to Portugal and don't speak Portuguese, you would hardly ever get a, like a side view. You would always be, oh, welcome, because Portuguese, Portugal historically has always been very, we are tiny. And I always felt like we are too tiny, so we are very welcoming to, oh my God, you bigger lore than me. Thank you for coming here and paying attention. But when you get to countries that are more a little bit more self-important, like France is, and this is not talking about bad about them, it's just a nature, you kind of feel like you're... Mm, why are these guys here? Yeah. I kind of felt that a little bit in France, a li actually a lot in, in France because I didn't even speak the language and oh my God, the outrage. So I, I, I kind of like that. The three questions left. If I gave you six months, and since you founded two companies, I won't ask, if I gave you six months and you couldn't talk about either GitHub or Chatterback or language learning or Git, if I gave you six months to prepare for a TEDx talk, what would it be about? Uh, I think it would be about um, how virtual reality will change the future of work. Um, I think that virtual reality is getting really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the biggest problems uh, in a whole bunch of areas is that people have to live where they work, right? You, most people work in an office. They have to live near that office. If they change jobs or transfer you know, to, to a different company that's, in a different, that's headquartered in a different city, a lot of times they're forced to move to that city in order to, to keep that job if they want it, um, if they want to... You know, I mean, for, I'm saying for most knowledge work type mm -hmm. stuff. Um, if a lot of these things were doable in virtual reality, where where we got rid of some of the friction of of 
that exists of working remotely, right? Where we could have this conversation and it seems very similar to this, but we could be in two different countries, right? That the opportunities that presents to be able to work from home, to be able to separate where you live and where you work, um, changes how cities are, would change how cities are structured, where people decide to live, um, the living expenses and, and, and costs in all of these places um, in, in a way that, that cha would change car ownership, right? Just all sorts of things would change hugely fundamentally if, if most jobs could be done remotely um, effectively. And I think virtual reality is an interesting answer to that system that we've never had before. Interesting. Um, okay, two questions left. What would you say to your just graduated self if you had the chance? Um, what would I say to my just graduated self? <laughs> um, I guess do what, I mean, this is pat, I suppose, but do what you love, right? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't do what you think would make you money. Don't, don't make decisions that you think are, you know, going to benefit you. Um, because even though you don't like doing them, I, I think, I think from a, a job perspective, at, at least, right do things that you want to do every day that you would do if you had a million dollars and you didn't need to, to work, like what would you be doing and, and try to do that, like try to get a career doing that so that you can do the thing that you love every day. Um, I mean, it's easy for me to say, I think, because uh, because I'm, I'm a computer science person and so the thing that I love turns out to be pretty well-paying <laughs> almost everywhere, right? Um, and so it's it's harder advice for, for people that... that are fascinated by things that are very difficult to make a living in. Um, and so, you know, I feel, I feel kind of bad saying it. I'm not entirely sure how great advice that is, but, um, but you do, you know, you don't want to wake up and, and be spending eight to 10 hours a day doing something that you hate for most of your life, you know, just because you're going to make more money that way. Like that, I don't think that that, that fundamentally is in anybody's best interest. Okay. Last question before we go in and finish, finish the interview. What, activity do you have outside of work do you think that most impacts your life in work mm, i would say that mm, that's a good question um so uh, my i think my children right having so i have two two children i have a, a nine-year-old daughter and a five-month-old son and uh, congratulations on the thanks <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we spaced them pretty, pretty far apart there. Um, so, so yeah, new dad again. And, and, but I mean, I, I really think that kids are, are, it, it affects my work in a couple of different ways. One is having kids as a founder, um, you know, I want to spend time with my kids. I want to have a flexible schedule. I want to drop my kid off at school or pick them up from school and cook dinner for them and spend time with them. Um, and so I think response to that is, is building a, a company culture that that embraces that right that, mm -hmm. that you can have a very flexible schedule that if you you know if if, if you get pregnant and that, that we I really want to make sure you have a long maternity leave or paternity leave and can spend time with your kids and bond with them once you have them that you can have a flexible uh, schedule work when you want you know I mean it's important that that everybody gets done their job but not when right I, I don't find that interesting and and so I think that that's probably affected my ideas of remote work and why I think it's important to to be able to separate an office and and work right, um, and and be able to choose your own schedule and and build your your work life around your family rather than the other way around, um, and so that's that's probably been the biggest impact over the longest term right is 
is understanding that work and life are not exactly the same thing and that you shouldn't force your employees to, to, to live that way. Well, Scott, this was a fascinating conversation. I really, really, truly loved it. And I would like to know if people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you and more about Cheddarbug? And all yeah, yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at uh, Chacon, C-H-A-C-O-N is my handle. Um, and you can find me on GitHub. Uh, the handle is S-C-H-A-C-O-N, <laughs> S-Chacon. Um, and then, uh, yeah, links, uh, LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Um, but I, I try to respond to uh, to DMs or, or anything. So, yeah, let me know if you have any other questions or, or interested in anything or, you know, any any uh, threats or <laughs> people <laughs> mad about things that I said, uh, I'll also uh, seriously consider them. <laughs> Scott, it was really fascinating talk. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for plugging into this episode. I truly, truly hope you love this conversation as much as I did. I highly encourage you to try and test out Cheddarbug if you're considering learning either German, Spanish, or even English. Any information that you might have missed will probably be linked up in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows and we can get to more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. Also, if there's any feedback that you might have for me, please reach out on social media. A big thank you for Scott for his time and to Thibaut Flondlin, a.k.a. DJ Rodia, for the music of the Pioneers show. Have a nice time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.